everyone turn to the person next to you and say hello
so much for that love. God, we will never understand it, but God, you pursue us. You love us even when we've turned our backs on you, God, even while we are still sinners, you love us. And so we thank you. We lift you up. We worship and adore you today because of that love. Lord, I know that there are those here that are probably discouraged. God, even in those moments, would you make your presence very real to that person? Father, for those that are on the mountaintop that have just heard some great news, Father, would you make your presence ever known to that person? God, we thank you that you are no respecter of persons. You love us all exactly the same. You value us all the same. We will never understand that love, but God, we receive that love today, no matter where we are in life. So Father, we give you all the glory for everything that happens here. May your presence be so very real, Lord, that when we leave this place, we will know that we have been with you. We love you. We praise you. We lift you up. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've got an app, everybody. Watch this. Hey, everyone. We got some exciting news. We have a new version of the Salem Fields Community Church app. So take that old one that you have and just throw it right out the window. I just mean you can delete it. Now all you have to do is go to your phone's app store and search for Salem Fields Community Church and download it to your phone. We have a really cool new feature in the app and it's a message note section. So actually during the service, you can fill in the blanks with the message notes or even write your own message notes that you can save to your phone later, even share with your friends. And the new app still has a lot of your same favorite features like fast and secure mobile giving, live streaming of the weekend services, as well as on demand of past services. Playlists that have all the songs from the past weekend's worship set, a mobile Bible with multiple translations, and exclusive one-minute audio devotionals as heard on B101.5. So visit SalemFields.com app today so you can stay connected with everything Salem Fields as we continue to share real hope with anyone everywhere. See what it says there? Download the new, delete the old. So go to your app store. We want you to delete your old app because we've new, we've improved it. And so the app is going to look the same, but when it comes up, it'll look a little bit different. And uh, so how many people have the app? It makes things really easy for Salem Fields. So go ahead and delete that old one and go to your app store and get the new one. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take our tithes and offering in just a few moments. We're so thankful for your faithfulness and giving of your tithes. If you've never discovered the joy of tithing, you can find out what that is. Ask somebody uh, that uh, if they tithe or not, and if they do, say, what's that all about? And I'll guarantee you they will give you a story of uh, 
God's faithfulness in their life and the joy. These are the variety of ways that you can give. Uh, we try to make it e as easy for you as possible, but the most important thing is that you pray and you ask the Lord, uh, you connect with him, what he would have you to do. And uh, we just believe in joyful givers, no, not giving out of duty or um, guilt, but truly giving because God has led you to give the first of everything that you have. There's a connection card in your program, and that's used to update uh, your information. If you are a first-time guest today, we've got a little gift for you out there. You may have seen the table with some little baggies and uh, colorful paper. If you take your connection card out there, you're a first-time uh, guest, then we will donate $5 to a local charity and uh, a local nonprofit, and so that's always a good way that we can give as well. Uh, let's see, what's coming up next? Anyone know? Okay, oh yeah, let's, let's all check into Facebook. 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 And have a merry time. There you go. <laughs> That's because we were making it up on the phone. <laughs> Jody and I do have done this since she was very little. <laughs> so oh, I, I forgot that you guys were out there. <laughs> okay, leadership board elections are coming up. This is, uh, if you are, have you gotten to membership class, you've become a member of Salem Fields, you get to vote in this election. Everybody can cast their vote if you want to, but the leadership board is a group of people that have agreed to carry the vision of Salem Fields and to meet on a regular basis and deal with the issues that come up where decisions need to be made. But uh, we just believe that these are leaders in our church that are carrying the vision of Salem Fields. So those elections are going to be coming up in a couple of weekends. The reason we tell you that is because we would really love for you to pray about that. You may look at a picture of someone and not know who they are and say, oh, they look really cute. I'll just vote for them. And if you've prayed about it, it could be that maybe that's the way the Lord led you <laughs> to do that. But we want you to pray about those elections. Summer camp is coming up in July. This is for grades one through five. And uh, this is just a great time if you know a child that their parents would allow them to go to this camp. It's just an incredible time for them to grow closer to the Lord. Some children accept Jesus for the first time. Some children are called to the mission field uh, to be missionaries or uh, pastors, whatever. It's just a, a great great time for them to be together. But there will be a meeting for anybody, any parent that has a child that would be, uh, if you're even thinking that they might uh, enjoy going to this camp, there's going to be a meeting right after the service in the hospitality room, and that's right by Rubicon there, that uh, kind of circular room. There will be a meeting right after uh, this service for that. Well, we're continuing our, our series today, Don't Be Fooled, and Buddy's going to be talking to us about don't be fooled, Jesus is coming back again. So let's continue to worship.
welcome to church. Y'all fired up and ready to go, aren't you? I'm surprised you made it in after that snow, though, actually. <laughs> I'm glad you fought through it and, and made it. Wow. You know, uh, God's saying, don't be fooled. It's spring. <laughs> Just want to keep you on your toes. Wow. We had an incredible Easter celebration last week. It was better than what we could ever expect it because God is always uh, will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can even think of to ask him to do. And he did that last week for us here at Salem Fields Community Church. And uh, we had a great celebration. We kicked it off on Thursday night with our communion and we transformed this uh, auditorium into an awesome setting for communion. And over 200 people shared in, in uh, remembering Christ's shed blood and his broken body. Uh, they, uh, we ate symbols of his flesh and drank emblems of his blood. On Friday, my favorite all-time best thing that I love about Easter here at Salem Fields, we've done it two years in a row now, is our crosswalk, our walk of hope uh, for the community, and it was a great, uh, great walk. We had over 400, we had around 400 people that carried the cross from the commuter lot to, um, to here at the church, and we had uh, just about 10-minute kind of little um, I don't know what you call it, but it was really neat here in the auditorium as uh, we worshiped uh, in a way, and it was really good. And then in the weekend celebration, we had uh, five services, our sunrise service and four others, and eight, 1,800 people worshiped with us in one of those five services. Uh, but you know the most awesome stat from the weekend, uh, also um, Smith Station had a service on Easter uh, just for the sake of having a, a what did I say? Smith Station, Smith something, <laughs> Smithfield had it. Thank you. Who said that? Thanks for being on your toes, Smith Smithfield. Oh, thank you. I can't see anybody out there, so I don't know why I ask anything. <laughs> uh, Smithfield had their first Easter service, and um, or, and uh, it's not, they're not doing that every week, but did it for Easter. But so the most important stat from the weekend is that uh, 29 children, 28 students, two people in Smithfield. And at least uh, 100 people raised their hand in the auditorium accepting Jesus as their Savior. Amen. So that 401 prayer time was not in vain. God did exceedingly abundantly more. And he'll do that in your life as well. He wants to do exceedingly and does exceedingly abundantly more. So thanks for inviting your friends. Many of you did. That's the best way to get people to come to church is by friends inviting friends. Thank you for helping us blow up 8,000 balloons. 8,000 balloons dropped from our ceilings in four services. And uh, the children had fun popping them while driving me about half insane. <laughs> uh, they dropped them right. Thank you for ushering, greeting, setting up chairs, taking pictures, helping with the communion, helping with the crosswalk, helping with hospitality and the donuts and the coffee. You know, we had coffee at the sunrise service, and Sabrina got up at 5 o'clock or came in at 5 o'clock and made coffee. She reminded me I didn't thank her in the first service, so I hope that I'm embarrassing her now. Um, thanks for working with our students and our teens and whatever else you did to help us share real hope with anyone everywhere. And we had a total of 2,826 people that came through our doors on Easter Sunday weekend, so we Easter weekend. So give yourself a hand and also give God a hand. Thank you so much. 
So last week we started our series, Do Not Be Fooled, Don't Be Fooled, by looking at the resurrection. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, we will continue our series by looking at some of the ways that we can be fooled in our spiritual lives if we're not careful. Now, I, you know, I always like to kind of get a, some kind of little funny story to tell or something at the very beginning, kind of relax me, get me off the edge, because when I come up here, I'm kind of uptight. Gay says, you need to just settle down, slow down. And I'm so uptight many times that I just, uh, you know, kind of ramble. And uh, I try to tell a little funny story, but, you know, there's not many funny stories out there about the, about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, but I did read a story about the Pope's secretary uh, <laughs> who ran frantically to the Pope and said to him, Your Holiness, Jesus has returned, and he's out there in the piazza riding on a donkey, and he's wowing all the people, and, and he's uh, just wowing the crowd and drawing people to him, and the Pope quickly responded, Quick, everybody, look busy. We're supposed to be busy <laughs> when he comes. Uh, anyway, Jesus is coming back. Don't be fooled. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, uh, said that people would ask him all the time, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is going to come back to earth again? And, his, and he responded, yes, I do. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again. And he said, I don't see any other hope because we're heading toward a catastrophe in our world. And that is no doubt, and that is truth, to know that our world is turned upside down and it's heading toward a catastrophe. And so he does certainly believe in the second coming of Jesus. You know, do you believe in he, that he's coming back again? A couple years ago, George Gallup did a survey. I'll tell you about surveys. Uh, surveys, uh, you know, they're what they are. But what I've noticed a trend in surveys when it comes to talking about our Christian faith and our beliefs, that every year it seems that those statistics, uh, less and less people believe in the fundamentals of the Christian life. Like the resurrection we talked about last week, uh, in 2000 and, uh, 2017, 77% of the people believed in the resurrection, and this past year, the survey showed that 60 Seven or 65 percent, I don't know exactly, but somewhere in that neighborhood, believe in uh, the resurrection of Jesus. But he did a survey that found that 62 percent of all Americans believe that Jesus Christ will return to earth someday. So that says that maybe four in ten will be fooled one day. Now, this may surprise you, but as I was studying about this message, and I found an article on, uh, from, about Muslims and their belief in the end times. And it was interesting to me that Muslims uh, believe in the end times return of Jesus according to re recent polls. They expect him to return, Jesus to return with greater anticipation than do many American Christians. A Pew Research survey in 2012 found that more than half of Muslims in Iraq and Lebanon and just under 50% in Morocco and the Palestinian territories believe in the intimate uh, return of Jesus. It goes on to say, outside the Arab world, more than half of Muslims in Turkey, Pakistan, Malaysia, and Thailand says Jesus will return to earth in their lifetime. More than half of Muslims. By contrast, a 2015 poll by the Brookings Institute found that only 12% of U.S. evangelicals believe that Jesus will return in their lifetime. 
And I just say, let's not be fooled. The second coming of Jesus is recorded throughout the Bible. Uh, in fact, the resurrection is only mentioned 41 times in the Bible. 41 times does uh, the resurrection get talked about. And yet we celebrate uh, that like crazy, and I think we should celebrate like crazy because things that happened last weekend happened when uh, believers gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Yet, there are entire chapters and books of the Bible that are devoted to the truth that Jesus is coming back again. One out of every 30 verses in the Bible mention the subject of the end times or of Christ's return. In the New Testament, there are 216 chapters, and in those 16 chapters, there are well over 30, uh, 300 references to Jesus coming up back again, compared, again, to the 41 times, excuse me, that the resurrection is mentioned. So it led me to talk about, I just kind of was going to talk about uh, the importance of coming to church and, uh, you know, people are being fooled today that we can just kind of blow off church and I was thinking about that and then I was thinking about the fact that uh, my first rude awakening to Easter Sunday was some years ago, uh, probably about 22 years ago or so. We had a big blowout at Easter at Salem Fields. We were over behind BJ's and that little church there, and I mean, we had a massive crowd of 200 people, and I thought, wow, we have finally broken through. I mean, this is, it's going to be great, people are going to come, and the next week we had 65 or so. You know, the Sunday after Easter for pastors can be a big letdown, because you have this big crowd, everybody's excited, balloons dropping from the ceiling, and the next week everybody comes from spring break. <laughs> I did too. Uh, and why did I say all that? Somebody remind me. Y'all not paying attention. I did that on purpose. <laughs> he is coming. You're right. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking about, I, I started thinking about, you know, soon after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. And, you know, I thought about the disciples and I thought about the very fact that here these guys were, these uh, these guys and ladies, and, you know, they had spent all this time with Jesus. They had spent three years with him. He was teaching them, walking with them, eating with them. They were following him. They saw him do miracles. They saw all this great stuff happening, and Jesus took care of them, took up for them, protected them, and then all of a sudden, bam, he's dead on Friday. And I thought, wow, think of the emotional uh, dropping their emotions and emotions and how things change so quickly. And then on, then we have them going to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning and discovering that the tomb is empty. And man, they're feeling good again. They're thinking, wow, he's come back and he's going to spend time with us. And he did. He ate with them. He taught them more. He showed them the wounds in his hands, his side, and his feet. I mean, he proved himself and he spent that 40 days with them. And then we come to Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And it reads, this is the kind of the context for this message. It says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. In other words, he was ascending into heaven. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, I talked to you last week about anytime angels show up, God has something important to say. Something significant is going to happen. You know, like when he showed up at the birth of Jesus, uh, he announced that the Savior had been born to a bunch of shepherds. And then he showed up at the tomb to say to the, to the ladies that arrived at the tomb, he was there, the angels were there to say, hey, 
I don't know why you're looking, about, looking for the living among the dead. He is not here. He is risen. And now when Jesus, spends, Jesus ascends into heaven, after his time here with the disciples and over 500 people seeing him, there the angels are again. And here's what they said. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, Pastor Charles Erdman, who was a Princeton professor, once pointed out the importance. He pointed out, I love this quote, the doctrine of Christ's return. He said, the doctrine of Christ's return is fundamental, it's scriptural, and it's controversial. It's fundamental in that all believers in Jesus Christ, when I say believers in Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about somebody that's born in a Christian home and therefore they say they're Christian. I'm talking about people who have accepted Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, have received forgiveness of their sins, invited Jesus Christ into their heart to be their Savior. They believe that one day Jesus himself will return to the earth. He says it's scriptural in that our faith rests not in our dreams, but in the clear revelation of God's word. God's word is clear on that. It's controversial in that Christians have often differed among themselves regarding the details pertaining to Christ's return. And you know, we could spend all day, all month, all year, and, and we could go into a debate about what's going to happen when Christ returns. Is he going to come before the church is uh, raptured? Is he going to come afterward? Is there going to be a rapture? You know, is he going to come in the sky? You know, we could have all this debate about whether or not and how, you know, how all that is going to happen. But today I just want to talk to you about what it will be like. What it will be like when Jesus comes again. What will it be like, and, and it will also help us understand why it's, why it's important that we not be fooled. Number one, the Bible says Jesus' uh, coming will be personal. You know, if you think about it, Jesus is here today. He said that when he leaves, he will send one, he will send the comforter who will abide in us. And so a believer, if you believe Christ, he's abiding in your life. But what I'm talking about is that when Jesus comes again, it will be in person. It will be personal. He will come again, uh, uh, the Bible, he will come again to the earth one day. And the Bible says in chapter 11, or verse 11, it says, it will be the same Jesus, the same Jesus who is coming again. Twice in one verse, Luke, now Luke happens to be the writer of Acts, Luke used the word same to make it clear that this same Jesus, the same Jesus who lived for 33 years, who was crucified and dead and buried on the third day, rose from the dead, is the same Jesus that's coming back again. There is no stunt man. There is no stand-in. He is coming back again. What that means, the one that just left in the scripture, Luke is emphasizing it twice, that this same Jesus is coming back again. Now, he's coming back personally, literally, visibly, and bodily. We can assume that his re return to earth will be no less amazing and no less surprising than his resurrection. Now, the truth is that the actual historical 
figure who lived 2,017 years or so ago on the other side of the world, who lived on the other side of the world, is coming back to earth one more time. Now, even though the Bible says in Mark, about uh, about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, people have tried to predict his coming uh, uh, since the day he left. I, I did a little study on that, and I love to look at that kind of stuff, and I, I went back to the 1500s, and there were people back in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, all through time that have tried to predict his coming. I found back in like the 16 or 1700s, I can't remember who made the prediction, but he made this prediction that Jesus was coming back again. And it said that, that people went out to the graveyard and they stood beside the uh, graves of their loved one because they wanted to be resurrected with their loved one when Jesus came back. They said thousands of people stood outside on the days that it was predicted, looking up into the sky, wanting to see Jesus return. And that's going on and on and on. In 1992, Harold Camping uh, predicted the end and nothing happened. So he changed it to 1993. And then he changed it again to 1994, and then again in 2011. And I guess he's still hoping. But Ron Winland predicted Jesus' return on September 29th, 2011. And when that didn't happen, he changed it to May 27, 2012. And when Jesus didn't return, then he moved his date to May, 2000, May 18, 2013, claiming that a day with the Lord is as a year. So every year he... <laughs> so. But the funny thing about it, Winland was convicted of tax evasion in 2012 and spent three and a half years in jail. Um, so I guess he's still, uh, you know, anyway, televangelist Jack Van Impey, who has, uh, who has over the years predicted many specific years and dates for the second coming of Jesus, but he too has continued to move his prediction. The latest prediction was by Mark Biltz, who began teaching that Christ's return would correspond with the September 28, 2015 lunar eclipse. His idea was known as the blood moon prophecy. Anybody remember that? You know, we were having this blood moon, and, uh, and when the blood moon happened, Jesus was going to come back. I had people calling me up, and they were all scared and saying, oh, this blue moon thing. And I said, hey, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I, I don't know much about the moon, but I see it come up, I see it go down. Uh, but... Uh, but anyway, that attracted attention of pastors like uh, John Hagee, and some of you may know him. Um, he, didn't, he stopped short of claiming Christ would return, but mainstream media even got a hold of it, like the USA Today, and they ran with it. Now, why did I say all that? Because I thought it was interesting. But also, because these groups, they were fooled on the time of his return. But they were right about one thing. And that is the fact that God in person in Jesus Christ is coming back someday. Jesus Christ himself said, I will come back. And one day, those words will be fulfilled before our very eyes. If not, then Jesus must be a liar. And if he's a liar, then I can't believe anything he says, and so I don't stand a chance. This whole salvation thing, I can't trust that if I can't trust what he says about his second coming. But he is coming in person. The second thing the Bible teaches about the second coming is that Jesus' will, coming will be glorious. Verse 9 tells us that Jesus uh, was caught up in a cloud and taken to heaven. 
What an amazing scene that must have been. Can you imagine being there and whoop, there he goes. And, you know, and the Bible teaches us that he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. In other words, God, uh, Jesus is going to God on our behalf. That's pretty amazing to me. When God says, that buddy isn't worth a darn, Jesus says, well, his life is covered by the blood. I don't know if God will say that, but, you know, he might. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. He's talking to God on our behalf when he was taken to heaven. You know, the cloud that carried Jesus into heaven was no ordinary cloud, but it, in fact, is the same cloud that led Israel in the wilderness. It's the cloud that represents the glory of God. Luke 21, 27 tells us, at the time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Woo, boy, that's going to be something, isn't it? You all excited about it? Okay, all right, making sure. At the time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He left in a cloud, and he's coming in a cloud. There are differences surrounding Jesus' first coming to his second coming. The first time Jesus came, he kind of snuck into the world. He came in unnoticed. Uh, uh, the second time, the Bible says, look, in Revelations, look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, every eye. You know, he, he won't sneak in the Bible, sneak in this time. He won't come in the middle of the night in some barn in Bethlehem. He is coming on a cloud, and the Bible says that every eye, every eye shall see him. You know, in his first coming, Jesus humbled himself, and he was born in a lowly stable with animals and shepherds, but he, and he came, rode into Jerusalem in humility and in obscurity, riding on a donkey, wearing a crown of thorns. He will come again in glory and power publicly. Every eye shall see him riding on the clouds, and at last, Jesus will put to death, will put, to, put an end to this culture of death, this culture of hate, this culture that we're living in that's uh, a dog-eat-dog -dog kind of world that just seems to be falling apart, and everybody's got their own opinions, and everybody's got all that's going to end one day. The Bible says that, that in heaven there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. That, 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 that the former things will pass away. And all things will be new. I love to tell my funeral home friends that I do a lot of funerals. I love to tell them every once in a while to keep them humble. That when the, when the new kingdom comes, they won't be needed. They'll be out of business. <laughs> they love me for that. <laughs> but you got to keep them humble, you know. But anyway. All that will end, folks. Every once in a while, we get a hurricane warning or a hurricane comes through or an earthquake, and it reminds us of the powerlessness we face with the forces of nature called the acts of God. You know, I, I uh, often think that the insurance company got made that up so they don't have to cover our stuff when it happens. Oh, can't cover that. That was the act of God. You know, oh, a bolt hit my windshield. Oops, sorry. <laughs> anyway, my house fell in because of the flood. Sorry, that was the act of God. Well, you know, we're powerless when those things happen. There's no way we can stop them. And I think about that. Imagine the awesome power of that coming again, that final act of God, when Jesus himself will arrive on a cloud and swoop in here and put an end to all that mess that we live in. Is that going to be awesome or not? 
You see, when Jesus comes back, he will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time he came, he was judged unfairly. He was sentenced and crucified unjustly. But when he comes back again, he will be the judge. And he will judge every person justly. Should I be worried? Not if you know Jesus personally. Not if you've accepted the, res the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not as long as you believe in the name of Jesus that, that he died on the cross to save us of our sins. And he's living as a savior in our heart. We have nothing to worry about. But if we're living in rebellion toward God, if we're living any way we think, doing anything we want, just going about life in a life of rebellion toward God, you have everything to be worried about. Everything to be worried about. A lady came to me frantically last night. She said, man, when I was growing up, my mom used to say, you better be careful. Jesus is coming back again. And she said, does that mean I will be judged? No, you, if you know Jesus Christ, you will not be judged. You will be judged only for your good works, not for your life. Because your life has been sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you know him personally. You see, the stories of the flood of Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Genesis shows us what will happen when we live in a rebellion toward God. I mean, God, he, he didn't put up with that. You see, he will come as judge to make clear, to be clear, make clear what it is that each person has chosen as their destiny. You know, we have free will. God didn't just come and say, okay, you're going to follow me. He gave us a choice, and Jesus is coming to, to hold us accountable for our eternal choice. Did we choose Jesus or didn't we choose Jesus? Jesus one, will return one day and with great power. And in glory. Jesus' coming is looming. Jesus' coming is looming, which means it could happen at any moment. How, how many times have you ever looked out your window, window or stood outside and you look off in the distance and you see this storm? Man, it's just looming out there. I, I mean, you can see a little bit of thunder and you are lightning and you can hear faintly some thunder. And you, you just know that storm just, you can just see it looming out there and it's coming, man. I mean, it, it's coming toward us. And, and we're saying, well, man, if I don't want to get drowned, I better get inside. And so we can make a choice to stay outside and get drowned or we can go inside. You know, but you can just see it looming. And that's what the second coming of Jesus, it's just out there looming. You see, the, the belief that Christ's return is looming is not new. Jesus' followers have been looking for his return from the beginning and, and, and that they were living in the last days and that Christ would come anytime. The Bible says this about the last days, so you must be ready. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Now, there's a story of this guy, a businessman, who uh, having a job to do at his office, he took his young son along with him to work one day, and he, he said to the boy, you wait out here on the steps, and, 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 and while I go in and work, and I'll come back and get you. Soon the man, he got so uh, preoccupied with his uh, work that he forgot about his son waiting outside. And leaving the building by a different door, he went home alone, left his son there. Several hours later, the family sat down to dinner, but the son was not present. Now, the story goes that his mom became anxious. I would say she lit that husband up myself. 
a little more than anxious, and wondered where he might be. Then the father said, oh, no, I remember where I left my son. And, and the story goes that he hurried back to work and he found his son. His son was there tired and hungry and weary, and he stood there as he had been told to do. And he said to his dad, I knew you would come again, father. I knew you would come, father. He said, you said you would. Well, folks, it's been 2,017 years or so have come and gone, and we're still waiting for Christ's return. You know, I can remember growing up in Sunday school and vacation Bible school, and I can remember the teachers saying, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming again. I remember that as clear as anything I was ever taught. Two things I remember from childhood, Jesus died for my sins, and he's coming back again, and you better be ready. I, I, I probably have told this story before, but it's a story that always pops in my mind, and uh, you know, about the fact that I was at this revival one night, and this old-fashioned Methodist preacher, there are those, and he was preaching hellfire. He was trying to preach the hell out of us. And I can remember as a child, he said, there's somebody in here tonight that's going to go out here in the road, and they're going to get hit by a truck, and they're going to die and go to hell. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> that's me. So by golly, I went out the back door of the church and went home the railroad tracks. <laughs> I wasn't taking any chances. But, you know, I've heard that. That if you're not ready, you're going to hell. And, you know, we can preach on don't be fooled. There is a hell. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And, you know, you might think to yourself, you ever wonder if he's going to come back? Or has he forgotten us? Or uh, uh, did his plans change? Or did he lie about all this? Maybe you feel like that little boy. Well, take heart. Don't be fooled. He said he would come back, and he will. The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Woo, praise the Lord. Man, not wanting anyone to perish, thank God, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, you know, I, I know this is just me, but I, you know, I look at that scripture, and there's a lot that goes in my mind, you know? So, it's not theologically anything other than what I think in my head and heart. I think of God. And I think him up there in heaven and I think, well, I know he's got a time set, God does. But I think he's looking down and he says, oh my gosh, I can't go today. Brian's not saved. You know, I can't go today, but he's not saved. Melissa's so far away from me, I can't come back today. Because it's God's desire that none of us perish and go to hell. Hell was created for the devil. And it's his desire that none of us would perish. That it, he has a dream that everyone would come to repentance. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you believe that Jesus will come back again, he said he would, and he never lies. The one thing about God is he can't lie. Nor does he forget his promises. So don't be fooled. So what must I do if I'm a believer? Be on guard, the Bible says. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Don't be like the ten virgins where five were ready and they had plenty of oil to spare and their lights or their lamps were burning when the bridegroom came. 
But there were five foolish virgins who ran out of oil. And they went seeking for oil. But Jesus came, the groom came, and they escorted the five virgins into the wedding feast, and the door was shut and couldn't be opened again. Be alert. Be alert. You see, the important thing to remember is that God has a set a day. He's got it in his, um, he's got it in his uh, phone. And the alarms go go off, 401. He has set a time set the time, and Jesus will come suddenly. There's a scripture in Corinthians, I just love it. It says, You will you you hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. Isn't that awesome? A blast to end all blasts from a trumpet. Why a trumpet? Because the Jews recognize the trumpet. And in the time, now listen to this, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. Now, what does that mean? It means if you're not ready, it's over. The door is shut. There's no chance. Once it's done, it's done. And the Bible is saying to us, be alert. Be ready. You don't know when the hour will come. It's over. Bam. Just that scripture. By the time you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. So stay awake, stay alert, but most importantly, be ready, be ready. So in closing, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions. If he came today, would you be ready? When I was taught in the class in evangelism back when I first started all this mess, we were taught to ask this question. If you died before you wake up in the morning, would you go to heaven? Do you know for sure? That he's your savior? If you say, well, I hope so, or I'm not sure, or you say, I I guess I'll have to wait and see, then I would say you're really not ready at all. Jesus, my favorite scripture, one I pull out when I'm doubting myself. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, you may know. Folks, you can sit here today and know. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That means you don't have to hope so, guess so, or think so. The Bible says you can know and you can know if you've confessed your sins and you've asked Jesus to forgive you and you've invited him into your life to be your Savior, you can know and you can be ready and you can stay alert and be on your guard because Jesus is coming again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this gathering. I thank you, Lord, for these folks that have gathered here and those online. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. But God, more importantly, we're so thankful, God, that you have promised that one day you will come in person. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I just pray today that you be with every person in this room. Lord, I, I pray for that to person today who's weary, who's hungry, who's tired, who's been going through trial after trial, difficulty after dis- difficulty, and just been God waiting for you to come back, Lord, for some relief. I pray today, God, that you would help each of us to hold steady, to be alert, to don't be caught 
with our lamps not burning. God, I pray today for those who cannot honestly say they're ready today. Maybe they're hoping so or guessing so or thinking so, but they're not sure. Well, today you can be sure. And our desire today is for you to be sure. And you can be sure, not because God loves you, because he does love you, but it's not God's love that will get you to heaven. It's God's love for you that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross. The cross is why we'll be saved. Because of his death on the cross. So if you're here today and you're just not certain and you want to be certain today, or maybe you have been certain in your past, but you certainly walked away from God and you don't have that kind of relationship with him anymore, and you're saying, you know what, I want to be sure that I'm sure that I'm sure, Pray this prayer with me. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Pray it sincerely. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. Just pray that. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, I ask you right now to forgive me of all of my sins. Jesus, I invite you into my heart to be my Savior. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the Bible says we shall be saved. If you prayed that today, and you invited Jesus into your heart and asked him to forgive you of your sins, now the appropriate thing to do would just be say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now, with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, just for a moment, no one looking around, we do this for you, and we uh, do this because we really believe that you need to acknowledge to God that you're serious. That you, When you raise your hand, you're just saying, God, I prayed that prayer, and I believe. I believe you have forgiven me. I believe you have saved me. And that Secondly, Gay and I are going to look around when you raise your hand, and that's so you can acknowledge that to somebody else, so that you can say to us, you know what, I'm making witness today. I'm testifying to the fact that Jesus forgave me today, and he saved me from my sin. So with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, no one looking around just for a moment, you'd say, buddy, I prayed that prayer. Anybody like that today? I'm sure. Yes, I see your hands. You can put them right back down. God sees your hands. not important that I do so much. But I did. Anybody else? Just slip your hand up if you have it. Say, you know, I prayed that prayer. I believe I'm ready. I'm ready. Anybody else? Yeah, I saw your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? One more time. Father, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving our soul. Thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us. and You have set us free to live in freedom. God, thank you that we can know, that we just know, that we know for sure, that, God, you are coming again and that we are ready. I pray, dear God, for all those who raised their hand today. I pray, dear God, that you would give them that blessed assurance, Lord. Just give them that, that, just that small, still voice, that small, still touch in their heart today that testifies, your spirit testifies with their spirit that, God, they are truly born again, saved. 
Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for your presence here. God, I thank you that one day every eye will see him. And that includes my eye. That includes your eye. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer today, praise the Lord. We welcome you to the family of God. Let's all clap and give a hand and thank God for those that raised their hand today. But there's one other thing that you, we'd like for you to do, and that is stop out at that table. If you prayed that prayer, there's a sign out there that says, Accepted Christ, stop here. And we have this little band for you. I wear my band all the time. It's just a band that just reminds me of what God did for me. And, uh, and you can pick one of those up. It'll take you about five minutes. There'll be a pastor there. And we're going to stand and worship together. God bless you. Straight. 